everyone, it's me, Dr. Savelli, with a C. We are introducing episode 88 on Evali. Guess what? The match 2022 is over. Another match season is behind us. It's time to celebrate and prepare for a new stage of your career. As an interesting fact, the American Association of Family Physicians announced that in 2022, the highest number of family medicine residents matched. That's amazing. Positions for family medicine residencies have been steadily growing for the last 13 years in a row. There are 756 family medicine categorical and combined residency programs. And that's 15 more programs than in 2021. Also, in 2022, osteopathic medical schools had the historic highest number of students matching into family medicine. To be exact, that's 1,496 DO seniors matched to family medicine this year. And that is 58 more students than in 2021. So during this season, the number of U.S. medical grads matched into family medicine did not increase. And that's despite a larger number of positions available. If, for some reason, you did not match this year, the match can also be a time of reflection and goal setting as you prepare with optimism, I hope, for the next season. To increase your chances to match next year, Dr. Margarita Loeza advised in an AMA article to, number one, stay in touch with your medical school. Find a job in a clinical setting. Take your step three and try a new approach during the next season. For example, you may consider applying to a higher number of programs or even more than one specialty. And a bit of my advice is do not quit. Residency training is the primary way to get licensed to see patients, but there are hundreds of alternative ways to pursue your passion in medicine. Do not give up on your goals. Never give up on something that you can't go a day without thinking about. Oh, I love that. Thank you, Winston Churchill. This is Rio Bravo Q Week, your weekly dose of knowledge brought to you by the Rio Bravo Family Medicine Residency Program from Bakersfield, California. Our program is affiliated with UCLA and it's sponsored by Clinica Sierra Vista. Let us be your healthcare home. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of our podcast, Rio Bravo Q Week. I'm Hector Ariasa. I'm a faculty member of the Rio Bravo Family Medicine Residency Program. And I have two wonderful medical students here. They are going to be talking about a wonderful topic because I feel like it's very relevant to talk about any kind of lung diseases because we know that our lungs are vital for our life, of course. And anything that affects the lungs, um, we need to, to learn, learn about. So thank you so much for being here, guys. Can you please introduce yourself and present the topic? Yeah, thank you, Dr. Ariaza. Uh, good afternoon, listeners. My name is Nugdeep Singh, and I'm a fourth-year medical student at Ross University School of Medicine. And I'm Jeffrey Nguyen. I'm also a fourth-year medical student from Ross University. Thank you for having us today, Dr. Ariaza. So uh, today we will be talking about e-cigarette and vape-associated lung injury, also known as vaping-associated pulmonary injury. But uh, before we get into the medical pathology of e-cigarettes and vapes, uh, why don't we give a little background on them? Sorry, guys, I have to make this bad joke. But when you say Ivali or Evali, that sounded to me like an Indian holiday or an Italian dessert. But Evali and Vapi or Vapi 
certainly no joke. So let's talk about it today. Sure, let's get started. So e-cigarettes are battery-operated devices that heat liquid liquids containing nicotine to produce an aerosol that the user inhales. Long-term health effects and whether they can help an individual quit smoking has been controversial, as there has not been many research on it. These e-cigarettes has raised public health concerns on smoking prevalence and their potential use by children. In 2009, sorry, 2019, over 5 million children and adolescents were using three cigarettes. This represented an increase in e-cigarette use by high school students from 12% in 2017 to 28% in 2019. In fact, Massachusetts legislation bans the sale of all flavored tobacco products starting in June 2020. Nicotine is the main ingredient in, li in the liquid. However, there are other constituents that are carcinogenic potential. Nadeem, can you go over some of these ingredients? Yeah, uh, so let's start with nicotine. The level of nicotine varies between 0 and 36 milligrams per milliliter, though it can get higher in some. Nicotine salt is another variant that can provide a different sensation in a user's throat. Next is uh, propylene glycol, which are humectants, and they are actually the main component of most e-cigarette liquids. So when you mentioned propylene glycol, I like very fast went to, to this thought about PEG. PEG is different though. PEG is prop polyethylene glycol. Um, does it ring a bell to you guys, propylene? Yeah. Polyethylene glycol? So it's, it's a laxative, right? It's very common. But also it's used in the mRNA COVID-19 vaccines. So polyethylene glycol. Um, if you have an allergy to PEG or polyethylene glycol, that's one of the few contraindications to receive the COVID-19 vaccine. But we're not talking about PEG, but it's good to mention that to make a, a, that difference. You know, PEG is not the propylene glycol. Uh, propylene, uh, propylene glycol is actually a light, sweet, lightly sweet substance that is used in e-cigarettes, which can cause chemical conjunctivitis or respiratory irritation. And the consequences of chronic inhalation of propylene glycol is still unknown. Yeah, thank you for that uh, clarification. Finally, there are uh, flavorings, and there are about 7,000 flavors available. Um, some examples include candy, fruits, sodas, and even some that are uh, alcohol-flavored. Can I add something real quick? Uh, yeah, sure, of course. Although these flavorings do add taste to the experience, it actually attracts e-cigarettes in the youth, especially those who do not already smoke. So kids, don't start smoking these just because of the different flavors. Sorry for an interruption. You can continue. No, no, it's all good. Uh, to continue where I left off, uh, metals such as tin, lead, nickel, chromium, and arsenic have also been found in these liquids. In addition to these, people can also use aerosolized THC or cannabinoid oils with these e-cigarettes. Wow, there are so many ingredients found in these liquids that the general public is not aware of. Now that we know a little bit more about e-cigarettes, let's talk about how they affect the lungs. Yeah, let's get to it. Um, so e-cigarettes and vape-associated lung injury was first recognized in the summer of 2019. And to date, there are more than 2,800 cases that have been reported to the CDC as of February 2020. Uh, and among these, 68 deaths have been recorded. Approximately 66% 66 are male users and nearly 80% are under the age of 35. And uh, unfortunately, 22% of the patients have underlying asthma. Currently, we still don't fully understand how e-cigarettes affect the lungs. 
Reported cases have hypothesized that lung diseases are associated with acute eosinophilic pneumonia, diffuse alveolar hemorrhage, acute and subacute hypersensitivity pneumonitis, respiratory bronchiolitis associated pneumonitis, and interstitial lung disease, suggesting that more than one mechanism of injury may be involved. It is important to understand that there is no evidence of an infectious ideology. Yeah, one interesting fact is that when they took fluid samples from the lungs, also known as bronchoalveolar lavage, from patients with lung injury from e-cigarettes, they noticed that the sample contained THC and or vitamin E acetate. Uh, of course, other additives were included, but these two were in the majority of fluid samples. In fact, the product Juul was recently found to have a strong association with Evely. Juul, I, I was not aware of this um, brand name. I'm glad that you guys mentioned it because you said that it was very popular in school, So, but I was not aware of it. But Juul was a commercial success. Uh, I was reading about it and it says that it's compared to Uber and Airbnb, which is which are huge. But it has been involved in a lot of controversies, like you said, uh, in different countries in the world. You mentioned vitamin E acetate, but isn't that found in many other products that we use on a daily basis? Yeah, definitely. Um, vitamin E is found in many foods, including vegetables, as well as vegetable oils, cereals, meats, and fruits. It is also available as dietary supplements and is in cosmetic products such as skin creams. Uh, there are no known harms when vitamin E acetate is ingested or applied to the skin. However, research suggests that it interferes with normal lung function. Interesting. Who knew something as simple as vitamin E can cause harm to the lungs when used differently? To continue, let's talk about symptoms that patients present with. Respiratory symptoms include shortness of breath, cough, chest pain, pleuritic chest pain, and hemoptysis. Patients may have subjective fevers and chills. GI symptoms include abdominal pain, nausea, vomiting, or diarrhea. Vital signs can be remarkable for tachycardia, tachypnea, and hypoxemia that may progress to respiratory failure. Nadeep, are there any criteria to meet the diagnosis of e-cigarette and vape-associated lung injury? Yeah, there are, but... Um... Before I talk about how to make the diagnosis, I want to mention that the CDC recommends obtaining detailed information on the type of vaping device used, type of substance used, frequency of vaping, and where the devices were obtained. Uh, to answer your question, in order to make the diagnosis, um, you need use of e-cigarette in the past 90 days, a chest x-ray or CT chest showing lung opacities without any signs of lung infection, uh, as well as a negative influenza PCR a respiratory viral panel, and other respiratory infections like urine antigen tests for Legionella, as uh, and now, due to the times we're in, uh, negative COVID-19 PCR as well. Well, you guys are talking about Ivali, and it sounds a lot like a common pneumonia, you know. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and we talk about the diagnosis that we have in our valley. It sounds a lot, a lot like pulmonary coxie, right? Mm -hmm. So that's one of the differences. So that's why it's important to collect a very detailed history because we might be seeing a patient with this and we don't know that they're using e-cigarettes and we might confuse them with a just a community acquired pneumonia or pulmonary coxie. So let's remember to collect a very good history. Yeah, thank you. So uh, now that we've gone over what it takes to make the diagnosis, what are some of the treatment options? Since this is a new and upcoming problem, there are no known treatments to date. The most important thing is to rule out infectious processes such as community acquired pneumonia. However, patients diagnosed with Ivali can 
be started on antibiotics empirically to cover pathogens of community-acquired pneumonia. Systemic glucocorticoids have been used, however, the efficacy has not been formally studied. The decision to initiate systemic glucocorticoids is challenging due to the various presentations, but it has been suggested to initiate systemic glucocorticoids for patients who meet the criteria for EVALI and have progressively worsened symptoms and hypoxemia. So what does supportive care entail? Uh, so 95% of patients with the with this diagnosis will require hospitalization and some form of supportive care. Uh, this can include things like supplemental oxygen, and you want a target pulse ox of 88 to 92%. And uh, if hypoxemia worsens, management follows uh, our similar for acute respiratory distress syndrome. Uh, in order to discharge a patient, it is important to ensure vital signs, oxygen saturation, and exercise tolerance are stable for 24 to 48 hours prior to discharge. Uh, Jeffrey, can you, uh, to conclude this podcast, can you talk about the prognosis of EVALI? Yeah, of course. So when comparing fatal versus non-fatal causes of EVALI, the proportion of fatal causes cases were higher among patients over the age of 35 and those with a history of asthma cardiac, or mental health conditions. Case reports among adolescents suggest residual lung dysfunction, like short-term diffusion abnormalities. However, it remains unclear whether abnormalities persist in the long term. We would need to wait while they do more research about this condition. That's a great, tool, a great way to end that episode, this episode, guys. So e-cigarettes use is increasing, and we need to be aware of the signs and symptoms of e-cigarette and vape-associated lung injury to start treatment appropriately and remember to include e-cigarettes and vaping when you're asking the questions about smoking. Some people think that they are not smoking but they're still using e-cigarettes. You know, they carry a lot of risk and that's why we have to ask specifically about that. Do you use e-cigarettes? Do you vape? And then we can start, you know, counseling our patients based on that. I have a final question for you. This is not scripted, okay? How do you say it? You say Ivali or Ivali? I'm going to say Ivali. I go with Evali. It just sounds sounds right coming <laughs> off the tongue. Okay, let's let our listeners choose what the right pronunciation is. Ivali or Ivali? Thank you guys for being here. Thank you, Dr. Arigaza. Now we conclude our episode number 88, E-Valley. E-Valley stands for E-Cigarette and Vape-Associated Lung Injury. The medical community has been increasingly concerned about the safety and health consequences of e-cigarettes and vaping. When you encounter a patient with respiratory complaints, remember to ask about any form of tobacco use, including e-cigarettes and vaping. If you suspect a patient has E-Valley, confirm the diagnosis with a chest x-ray or CT scan and rule out any infectious etiology. Consider hospital admission if symptoms are severe, for example, if the patient has shortness of breath or requires oxygen. Even without trying, every night you go to bed being a little wiser. Thanks for listening to Rio Bravo Q Week. If you have any feedback about this podcast, please contact us by email at Week at clinicasieravista.org. This podcast was created for educational purposes only. Please visit your primary care physician for additional medical advice. This week, we thank Hector Ariaza, Valerie Savelli, Nagdeep Singh, and Jeffrey Wynn. Audio by Suraj Amruthya. See you next week.